Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome to another session of Under My Roof. Today we have back Michelle Karen De Silva from Qatar, and today's topics about stones and sanctity. So if you if your friends or family members have not joined through Zoom or have not registered through Zoom, please share this QR code with them so that they'll be able to join us live from YouTube. Um, so just the general um, guidelines. So make sure you use the Q&A section to um, ask any questions. We'll prioritize them at the end and the speaker will answer them. Um, if you are facing any technical difficulties, you can use the chat function um, so we can help you. But please refrain from using it just so um, just because it disturbs you as well as others. So the schedule is as follows. The worship is led by Clive and Eden. The talk is by Michelle Karen De Silva. Can I hand over now to the worship team? Thank you, Aziza. So, peace of Christ, my dear friends, I welcome each and every one of you in the precious, in the mighty, in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. 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 God is good all, all the, the time. time. And all the time, God, God is, is good. My dear friends, let us all sign ourselves in the name Amen. of the Father, Father and of the Son and of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. 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 My dear friends, today you're not here by chance. You're not here by choice. You're not here by coincidence. You're not here because, you know, you registered for this session. But moreover, my dear friends, you're here because our Lord Jesus has called you out of his love for each and every one of us. Amen. 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 My dear friends, you know, Jesus, he wants to pour his love into our hearts. He wants to tell of his love to each and every one of us. He wants us to experience his love, to abide in his love. And that is only possible, my dear friends, is when we look to Jesus. Amen. 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 My dear friends, the word of God says, seek first the kingdom of God and all the other things will be added unto you. And today, as we are gathered, my friends, let us seek Jesus. Let us seek the kingdom of God because after that, God adds things to us in abundance, more than we can ever think of, more than we can ever imagine. You know, friends, at this point of time, there are so many people who might be browsing to the net. There are so many people who might be, you know, joining Zoom sessions right now all over the world. But today, you are called here on this particular session by name. It is our Lord Jesus 
who has called each and every one of you, my dear friends, by name. Because He loves you. He loves you abundantly. He loves you endlessly. And today, let us all join together and let us sing of His love. Let us all close our eyes, raise our hands and sing the song, The Same Love. Calling us all by 
Oh yes, Lord Jesus. You have called each and every one of us by name. And Lord, yes, each and every one of us right now, we are at the foot of your cross. At that same cross, O oh Lord Jesus, where you delivered us, at that same cross, O oh Lord, where each and every one of us achieved victory, at that same cross, O oh Lord, where you broke our chains, where our bondages were broken, Lord Jesus. Lord Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. And Lord, it is only by your death on the cross, it is only by the blood that you poured for each and every one of us today we can declare that we are God's children. Lord Jesus, when you died on that cross for us, you took away all our sin, you took away all our sickness. Lord, and today at that same cross, each and every one of us, we surrender we surrender the confusion that has been going on in our minds, Lord. We surrender our anxieties, our fears. We surrender the emptiness that we feel. Lord, we surrender our addictions, our attachments, Lord. There are times, Lord Jesus, where our senses, they lie to us. There are times, Lord Jesus, where we are not able to feel you, to experience you. But Lord, we belong to you and that is what we know. We know that you are the Lord of our lives. And it is only you, Lord Jesus, who gives us hope. It is only you, Lord Jesus, where we have salvation. It is only through you, Lord Jesus, where we are free. My dear friends, God, he knows every situation, every thought that you're going through right now, he knows your mind because he has made you. He formed you in your mother's womb. He knows every desire, he knows every thought, he knows every sin, he knows every aspiration, he knows every dream. And right now, my dear friends, let us all surrender it at the cross. Let us empty ourselves because it's only when we are empty our Lord Jesus can fill us with his love, with his peace, with his, with his joy. So let us all take this hymn at the cross. Searched me. 
we stand in awe of you. We worship you, Lord Jesus, along with all our angels, our saints, our garden angels, Lord. We stand in awe of you. We stand in awe of you. I stand, I stand in awe of you. I'll stand, I'll stand in awe of you. Holy God, to whom all praises due, I'll stand in awe of you. I'll stand, I'll stand in awe of you. I'll stand, I'll stand in awe of you. Thank you so much, Clive and Eden, for the wonderful praise and worship session. I'd now like to hand over to Michelle, who comes all the way from Qatar. The last time we met Michelle was through a talk um, a day before Valentine's Day, as some of you may have remembered. Michelle, over to you. Thank you so much, uh, my dear. Thank you. Uh, and thanks for remembering me uh, in light of Valentine's Day. <laughs> if anything else, let's just remember that. Like, remember how to love <laughs> and what true love is. Uh, thanks for having me here. Um, as always, it's always a pleasure to be with you. Uh, always a pleasure to be with you, Mario. Uh, and for the, the wonderful team that you have. It's always, you feel home. Uh, and I'm always honored to be here. Um, so today... Um, uh, is a very uh, strange topic, I would say. And it's strange because um, unknown to me, I was doing something and then I bumped into something else and talk about divine coincidence. Yeah, that's the, how, how the Holy Spirit works. So I'm going to show you a short clip uh, of something I bumped into. Uh, and I want you to take a look at this. Uh, this is one guy, or, or maybe we just see who we want to see in that little clip it's quite about, about three minutes i think but i just kind of clipped it for one minute so you can uh see what i'm talking about I'm so
that party goes on for about uh, literally three, three and a half minutes. Uh, and when I first watched the video, you know, I was like, um, because I read the comments and it was on CNN. Uh, and so I read the whole post. So I know in what context the post was. Uh, and then I went back to the video and I'm like, what is the big deal here? Like what's really going on? So I watched the video a couple of times. And then, you know, when we were kids, I remember the, the game that we used to play as kids, like LON, DON, London statue. And then we just had to just be statue. And then people would do what they have to do in front of us, like to make us laugh. And then, you know, someone like me just, I mean, I can't stay, you know, like still. And I was just continuously watching this guy. And this is what the post said on CNN. So the post said that this guy was standing, uh, you know, before the native uh, American man who was playing the drum, singing at the Lincoln Memorial um, in Washington. I believe it was on the indigenous uh, march walk. And this video, so something, something like this, went instantly viral and it gathered millions of views but that's not the part of the the video the part of this story is that social media picked up this narrative that this boy was harassing that native elder because i think in some part of the cnn post uh the the gentleman said you know i felt threatened uh i felt like my safety was at stake and things like that and i don't know this boy uh, I just kind of like see his resilience. He's just like standing there and I don't even know what to make of that. And I don't know what happened that day. But I wanted to highlight today, uh, especially for us young people, you know, I'm also a mentor for youth and I know how these things can spiral out of control on social media. And I was thinking of something like this that can easily maybe pass our attention or it can be something that we say, how can something as simple as this you know, spiral out of control because people began to spoo hate on this guy. And that's what caught my attention. They began to like, they wanted him destroyed. They wanted him actually destroyed. Some people actually went to the extent of even finding his address, like his parents and his school and his neighborhood. And they kind of like send people to kind of like get him. They just wanted him destroyed. And I was thinking very deeply about this because it troubled me a lot. It troubled me about how things happen the way they do in our generation, in our, you know, in our digital technological generation. Something, you know, like a, one comment or something you post can just pick up, you know, it, it can turn into some viral thread. Um, and I don't even know what the intention of the boy was, honestly. But I was thinking very deeply about how we are just in the whirlwind of the social media rat race and how we could be brewing this culture of hate, sometimes even not knowing about it. Very interestingly, St. John Paul II, you know, warned us of a culture of death. Somehow all of us feel, you know, we have this human right, you know, we feel like we have earned the right to kill people with our words. We feel the right and the pressure to step in, you know, step in into media, pressure from friends. Some of us have the pressure of FOMO. Like we feel like we've earned the right to step in and to accuse and to judge. And I don't even know the background of this boy, but I'm thinking about today about how it takes one tweet, one comment, one screenshot, one forwarded message to destroy relationships. But it takes 
a lifetime, a lifetime to repair them. And I was thinking about this video and I was kind of like staring at this boy, you know, it's just, it, it amuses me, like his disposition amuses me. Just, you know, hypothetically assume, you know, like this, this guy is guilty of being a racist jerk. I don't know, like acting like an idiot, like, like most of us do when we're in high school, like we're idiots. We don't even know what we're doing half the time. But going about, you know, the world and sort of spewing hate on him, we ground the guy for Pete's sake. But wanting to destroy his life? I mean, that's the extent that we can go on social media. And we know nothing about this boy's life. Like we don't, we know nothing about his background, his family, where he comes from. And we do what we do while sitting safe behind our computer screens. I mean, this is the furthest we can go for like justice. We call that justice. Like our God-given right to step in and say, well, the, I'll, I'll show you like what you've done. But everything is happening behind the computer screens, like tearing people down in total anonymity. And we have to ask ourselves deeply about these questions as all of us have a responsibility on social media, not just people like us who have some public spot there. All of us who are on the social media runway have a responsibility. And we talk about all these movements that we join, you know, movements for justice, like human right movements. But what do we do behind our screens has a huge impact on this change that all of us desire in this world. The motive of our hearts are just challenged time and time again when we partake of these posts or we want to like step in and we want to comment, we want to make a cynical comment, we want to cuss on social media. And we have to ask ourselves that question, is this bringing change? Because all of us desperately need change, don't we? Is this bringing change or is there something wrong with the human heart? Because when we look at church history or we look at reformation in general, reformation in history, you look at these leaders who partook in that reformation change, there's a price to pay there. Revival costs, change costs, it costs us lives. It's so easy to pop off a tweet and feel like you've done something heroic, isn't it? But how about laying down our lives for this change? How tough is that? Very tough, isn't it? Very tough. So easy to sit behind our gadgets and like type something out and it goes, join the mob, so we say. And one of the you know, interesting things that happened to me last week is that I bumped into this great historian, a French historian and Catholic philosopher by the name of René Girard. And I love you know, analytical thoughts. So sometimes I kind of like dig these philosophers and see what they have to say about church history or reformation or change and things like that. René died in 2015, but he left us with some astounding study in what he called the scapegoating mechanism. And the underlying principles of the scapegoating mechanism is that no one ever sees himself as casting the first stone. Like all of us, all of us always look to someone else. Like they are the problem. He's the problem, she's the problem. And he says, even the most violent persons believe that they are always acting to a violence committed in the first instance by someone else. We never see ourselves as the problem. We're always 
always looking for a scapegoat, someone to blame. Two, three weeks ago, we had an issue with, you know, our community in our close friend circle. Some of us, you know, were tested positive for COVID. And there was all this talk, you know, about, you know, you didn't follow the rules, you should have done better. And, and yes, yes to all of that. But I noticed like this, you know, we just ended into this whirlwind of blame game. And I found even for my own heart, like I found it so easy to just say it was, it was his problem, it was her problem. They should have been careful. She should have done that. He should have done that. And I was thinking very deeply about, you know, as we stand on the brink of the Holy Week, and then I bumped into Rene Girard, and I was thinking about the scapegoating mechanism, like it's part of our lives and it's part of the social media around me, but it's also part of an everyday routine of our lives. There's always someone to blame, isn't it? If it's not at home, then we have it in school. If it's not in school, if it's in, a, it's in our friendship circles, and it's also predominantly there in the church. It's someone else's problem. It speaks to the core of our human heart. You know, this tendency, this intuitive tendency inside of us to self-protect. We join what's popular. Whatever is popular, regardless of what it is, we want to be a part of it. And I'm sure that when this video went viral, uh, there's a minority of the section that might have thought, well, this guy, just give him a break, like high school idiot, like just give him a break. But the majority of the crowd joined the mob because it's popular, isn't it? We want to be a part of it. This movement, that group. What happens, my dear friends, in scapegoatism is that we become blinded. We become blinded and we begin to treat people like programs that can be deleted. We forget the intrinsic worth and dignity of a human person made in the image and likeness of God who has a story just like ours that we know nothing about. We forget in that moment what it must feel like. What if we were in those shoes? We forget that, isn't it? When we spew the mechanism of scapegoating. And Jesus is so accurate, right? He's so accurate about the human heart. I just love how he comes like in the most simplistic words and he just exposes the core of the human heart. And in John chapter 10, verse 10, this very famous passage, you know, we know that very well, you know, the, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy, but Christ has come to give us life. In this passage, Jesus calls Satan a thief. Someone whose business is to steal steal joy, steal peace, steal, steal unity, steal harmony. Perhaps the image that we have of Satan, you know, is this horrid looking creature with, I don't know, horns and a tail with, I don't know, fire or something. But scripture says that Satan in Greek is satanas, which means accuser, accuser. He's like a prosecuting attorney who has only one job. It is to accuse. He accuses you. Think about how many times he comes and says to you, look what you've done. Look what you've done. He accuses you of sin, and then he tempts you to accuse others. And Jesus warns us about this accuser in the context, which is completely paradoxical to the accuser. 
he warns us about this whole scapegoating mechanism of you know, blaming others in context of him being the good shepherd who does just the opposite. The sheep recklessly wanders away. The sheep is rebellious, does everything possible that is opposed to life. And this is the good shepherd that goes and gathers that sheep, defending that sheep, protecting that sheep, nursing that sheep, even at the cost of his own life. Completely reversing this culture of hate and shame that we're used to in our culture. Showing us what true justice is like and that true justice can only only be fulfilled with a component of love. Not the kind of sentimental love we talked about on Valentine's Day. Not that kind of love. St. Thomas Aquinas, I said to you last time, you know, just completely nails the definition of love for us. Kind of like we're threatened by it because it is so contrary to our culture. The love that we talk about is what can I get out of this? How can I join the popular mob? Because I'm going to be made popular by it. And St. Thomas Aquinas tells us to love is to will the good of the other. To love is to will the good of the other. Am I saying, am I doing things which I truly believe is willing the good of the other? All those guys who are spooning venomous hate over that guy. Do they really want justice? Was the motive of their heart really to bring about good? And how about those hateful comments? What are they doing to us? Can hate bring about change? Can my actions truly bring change when I spew hate, when I'm cussing, when I'm just being negative? Or are my actions oftentimes a reflection of my own human heart. Maybe they're stemming from past experiences. Could it be that I've been betrayed and rejected in my relationships? Could it be that I'm very disappointed in my life right now? Could it be that there's something in my heart that is restless because of my own sin? Could it be that I have been judged by my, you know, myself by others? And so it's so easy for me to self-protect and judge others. And what am I getting when I expose someone's sin? Popularity, validation. Hate is very real in our culture today, friends. But if hate is bad, what is hate upon hate doing to our culture? And you know, this doesn't mean, you know, like we don't, you know, render our voices you know, and speak up or stand for the truth. You know, I'm a woman's advocate and I have very strong views on how women should be treated. I also am part of a women's committee at my workplace. And we speak very strongly about, you know, equal opportunities for women and what women, you know, should stand for and should receive. But I also know that I don't base my opinions, you know, just by popular thought or even what I want to feel like. My opinions are not based on my own feelings because someday, change the world for women. Monday, a woman friend hurts me and I want to like, I don't know, shift, like being a man's advocate or something. We can't bring about this change based on what we feel, based on what we think. 
This culture cannot be corrected by what we think or what Netflix is offering us or what the popular thought is. Even with good human rights movements, our change cannot come from them. They can facilitate change. They can foster change, of course. In some cultures, as you know, like in some countries, you know, they worship babies. In other countries, they eat them. Right. So I cannot base my opinions on culture, on movements, on popular thought, on Netflix, on social media. I must base my opinions on the absolute standard of the word of God. Everything else, my dear friends, is sinking sand. 20 years ago, they would tell you X is the way to love. 20 years after, they'll tell you Y is the way to love. Times change, eras change, seasons change, culture changes, popular thought changes. We must base our change, our need for change in our opinions on the absolute word of God. And so if God says that I am made in the image and likeness of God, and if God has created me, then God has also left a blueprint in his word to teach me how to live. And I can stand on that truth even when the world around me is gone crazy. Even if my home is cray cray. Even if my friendships are gone ballistic. Even if all my friends are headed to the right direction, I can go onward to the left. If I stand on the word of God, then I know I'm in the right path. And what I want you to do right now is, I don't know if you have your Bibles, or if you have your book with you, I'd encourage you to just grab a, a book and a pen. Uh, and as we're gonna speak through this very familiar narrative that we're gonna look at right now, I want you to um, just journey with me through it. And there might be certain words that the Holy Spirit might be bringing to your, to your mind, certain things that you might remember as we are talking. And I want you to write them down because they will form the basis of what you can carry to the Lord, you know, once we are done and in the days forward in the Holy Week. So I want to take you through this familiar passage found in John's gospel. Uh, it's found in John 8. And what I want to do is I want to take you through a painting that depicts this passage. It's a painting by a very famous Renaissance artist called Lorenzo Lotto. And this painting captures, as you can see, the story of the woman caught in adultery. You know the story very well. And as you can see in this painting, you know, like paint, uh, you know, art has this amazing, amazing facet of kind of revealing the story in ways that you can't do with words. And I love, I love sacred art. And as you can see in this painting, we can just put this painting back. Uh, we can see in this painting, you know, the woman's shoulder is exposed. Can we have the painting back? You can see like the rich hues in this painting. You know, Jesus is wearing red and oftentimes in painting, it signifies deep, fiery passion for us. You see the woman's shoulder, it's exposed, uh, depicting that she's been caught. You see men pointing at her. Uh, very soon we're gonna see stones in their hands. 
waiting, like they're waiting to pounce on her, waiting to shame her. You see darkness all around. There's a sense of like this gloom and this darkness all around the place. And in the center of that darkness, Jesus takes center stage as the light of the world. And I just absolutely love the gesture of his hand. It's like this. It's kind of, it's as if he's saying to them, stop. Please, I ask you to stop. Because he steps in to defend her. Because he loves her like he loves us. And when you know the law of Moses, you know, and the law of Moses, as you know very well, you know, adultery is mortal sin. And so anyone caught in adultery would be dragged, not just, you know, shamed, you know, at the place of, you know, where they were caught, but just so that they can be, we can heighten their shame. They would be brought to the public square, kind of dragged there for the whole world to see. And then they would stone them because that was required because that was mortal sin, like grave sin. Very interestingly, in this case, the woman is dragged. I don't know where the man is because it takes two people, right? So clearly the motive of these men is not justice. They just want to trap Jesus. And they're using this woman as bait. I don't know, my young friends, I don't know if you've ever been used as bait by someone. Don't we do that all the time in this culture, like use people, take advantage of people just so that we can get what we want. I remember once this, this girl had come to me, she was, she was about 16 years old and she was in a relationship with this guy. And I found out later on that, you know, it was some kind of a bet or something with his friends because he just told his friends, like, I'll just ask her and she'll say yes. And she knew that so well. She knew that so well. And don't we stay sometimes in toxic relationships just because we just, we just want to feel that acceptance. She knew so well that this guy was just using her. And somewhere in their relationship, you know, she sent him compromising pictures of herself. And in a few weeks time, you know, they were done, you know, with their relationship and this guy kind of like won the prize of, you know, using her. And those pictures that she sent him out of trust in that relationship went viral, like that video. And what was really bad is that they went viral in school. And the parents were called by the principal. And it was such, a such an utter, utter humiliation for the family. Such shame. Not only was there shame, you know, like imposed on her, but this guilt of, like, I knew it. Like, I knew I was being used, but I stayed there. And she just couldn't get out of that guilt and that shame. And all those friends of hers, all those friends who professed to kind of like love her and be with her. And they made all of these plans and promises to always be there till death do us apart. Don't we do that with our friends? They all disappeared. Some of them joined the popular mob and they said, oh my goodness, like how horrific. Like, don't you get it? Like, why did you send pictures of yourself to him? And the rest of them just stayed silent. 
silent bystanders as this girl was dragged to the main public square in school. And it is here, my dear friends, in moments like these, it's in moments like these, if you just think back at your own life and you say, where have I been brought to a public square in my life? Maybe it's a genuine mistake and maybe it's, it's a due mistake. But the utter, utter shame of being humiliated and the guilt of the mistake that is done and now the whole world knows your mistake. And it is here in this mess, in this hot mess, that Jesus takes center stage. He comes in and he intersects himself between the scapegoating mob, the blame mob, and this woman who is accused. And Jesus will do the same for you. He will do the same for you. And we're going to just play this beautiful video. You know, I love the passion of Christ. And there's this, I'm sure you've seen the movie. Um, and there's this scene of this, this woman dragged to the public square. And I just, I just love the disposition of every character in this video. It speaks to me. And maybe we're going to find ourselves. And I want you to just pay very close attention to every single person in that video. Maybe it's the woman, it's the bystanders, it's people with stones. Uh, and you see the personality of Jesus as he intersects the mob. You stood before creation. Eternity in your Spoke the earth into motion, my soul has to stand. You stood before my failure and carried the cross for my shame. My sin weighed upon your shoulders, my soul now just 
beautiful, beautiful clip from the Passion of Christ. This clip has always brought me to those, those moments in my life. You know, I don't know if you've been, if you've had those moments in your life where you think that this is it, like this is the worst thing that could have ever happened to me. Like I will never regain my dignity again. Like all of the, the sacredness of my being, like that's it, it's gone. Like my reputation is gone. It will never be well for me again. People will never see me the same way again. And you see, sin has that component, isn't it? Sin does that to us. And this woman is not, you know, innocent, of course. You know, sin has diminished her worth and sin diminishes our worth. Sin makes us downcast. We forget, we forget in sin, you know, we forget the sacredness of our bodies. We forget how beautiful we are. All we see is ugliness, isn't it, in our sin. And you see this woman, such a classic, classic embodiment of what sin does to us. Her clothes are torn, her face is cracked, scars of shame are evident, exposed by others. I'm sure there are people who reminded her every single day. Like, this is who you are. Like, man, this is who you are. You remember the mistakes of your past, this is who you are. And don't we do that? Don't we do that sometimes when we know the sin of others, like we remind them, like we don't let them move on? Or if we are in the place of this woman, we say this pounding, pounding narrative of the accuser saying, you will never be free. You will never be free. This is what you've done. This is what you continue doing. And I love, I love that Jesus intersects that moment when there's no one else for her. And don't we find ourselves in this spot where we say, who can understand me? Like, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do what I... I know I should be doing this, but I do this. And I don't want this life of addiction. I don't like it. I don't like this life of mine. I don't like what I'm doing, but I do it anyway. And who will understand the struggle in my soul? And Jesus comes in. Jesus comes into this moment at the weakest, weakest, heightened shame, heightened shame, shameful circumstance of her life and he intersects himself in he comes to a reminder of her image her worth her worth as the catechism puts it in the dignity of the human person rooted in the image and likeness of god our bodies are sacred because we bear god's image don't we forget that when we throw stones at others don't we forget that when we're throwing stones on ourselves in sin losing dignity, losing the precious sacredness of our bodies. And Jesus comes to remind her, not of sin like the others do. He comes to remind her of her worth. He comes to remind her that sin may prevent the fruit of this abundant life that he has died to give us, but sin cannot rob us of the presence of God. Sin cannot destroy the image of God within us. Sin can injure us. Sin can make us downcast. Sin can scar us like that woman. But it cannot remove the image of God in us, my dear friends. And that is the hope for you. That is the hope for me, this land. That is the hope for us. That even when the accuser comes to us and says, you are never going to change. 
you are a liar, you are an adulterer, you are a flirt, you are never going to change, this is your life. There's one who comes and intersects that scapegoating mob and he says to us, like he said to them, let him who has never sinned be the first to cast the stone. Let him who has never sinned be the first to cast the stone. Open heart surgery, heart exposed. So there's none there, none there who is sinless. And don't be my dear friends, you know, I've got this stone that I found outside. And I was thinking it's been in my garden, like all the way, never saw it until I kind of bumped into Rene Girard, like, thank you, uh, Rene. You think of something like this, so ordinary that we find everywhere. At one point of time, this, this cost lives when we were caught in mortal sin. And don't we do that? Don't we take this in our hands, my dear friends, in today's culture, keeping a tab of people's sins, stones of gossip, stones of condemnation, like joining the cool mob at the expense of others, mocking, humiliating, bullying. Do you know how many, how many people want to attempt suicide? Because sometimes we just stand quiet. We're bystanders looking at others, mocking and bullying. You see, they were, there's no one sinless that they, just one. Only one. Only he had the right to pick this up. But he doesn't. He doesn't yield to the scapegoating mob. Because evil cannot be removed by evil. Evil can only be replaced by good. That is the heart of Lent. That is the paradox of Christianity that people don't understand. This is how, my dear friends, this, this costs us the grandeur of God within us, destroying the image of God within us. This has cost God the cross. But the Lord shows us how evil can be conquered. Do you know how? Do you know how? Like this. By becoming the scapegoat himself. This is thrown at him. On the sinless one. On the one who has no sin. On the one who never condemned. This is thrown at him. By us. Jesus on the cross, the world says it's the most powerless place to be because the, the cross is the sign of weakness, shame, humiliation, punishment. Rene Girard writes in his book, absolutely astounding. He says the victory of the cross is the victory of love against the scapegoating cycle of violence. This is how we win. This is how we win. This is where pride is destroyed. This is where we can say love is greater than sin, greater than failure. This is where we can say forgiveness is powerful to consume hate in this culture. And look at him. Look at him. We talk about joining the popular mob, yeah? We talk about grasping. We talk about self-defending. We talk about self-protecting. This man has nothing. 
Nothing, absolutely nothing. Nailed to the cross, hands and feet nailed. Who to accuse? Who can he accuse? He doesn't even have the strength to speak. His voice is silenced by the scapegoating mob, humiliating him. Hey, if you're God, why don't you do something, man? Why don't you come down from the cross? Talk about dignity lost. When I went to Panama in 2019, crucifix doesn't even have a cloth because that's what they did at the crucifixion. They stripped you naked. This is where Christ intersects in our life. And you see him there in that video, bending, bending. And I, I don't understand it. I don't get it. God bends. Have you ever, can you ever fathom that truth? The gesture of Jesus bending in the dirt. God bending. God bending for us. God willing to bend for us so we could be raised. So we could be raised from a place of brokenness here. From here, my dear friends, we all is diminished. Maybe we are accused of our sin, told that we are worthless from here. Maybe we think we earn the right to accuse others, tearing down their sacredness from here to here. where freedom is possible. Such a paradox to our culture that says we gotta be first, we gotta be strong, we gotta be free to do what we want. We have the right to pick this when we want, to who we want, such a paradox. The cross shatters our perspective in this culture. And I want you to close your eyes at this moment Just close your eyes, just take a deep breath. I pray that this is not just going to be something where, you know, I come and I speak and you listen and then we go about our lives. Because you and I desperately need change in this generation. And we need to awaken, we need to awaken to where we are, to where we must be. If you truly want a world changed. So I want you to close your eyes. Just think about it that moment. And I want you to come at this moment and picture yourself as that woman. A time in your life where you were shamed. Friends or teachers or parents or things that were said to you. And you were shamed and so humiliated. You know, scripture tells us that they left one by one because there was none sinless there. I'm thinking if I was that woman, I would leave too. 
But you know, she stayed. Maybe just like so tired. Tired of his accusations. Thinking of this man before her, thinking, I've heard reports of him, of his kindness, of his generosity. Maybe this is my moment. Maybe this is the moment where he can see me beyond the scars, beyond the sin. And the theologians, you know, bring us to this awesome moment. They say, think about that moment, that holy moment where only the two of them are left their faces meet her face is all scarred one of misery his face is one of tender kindness and what he says to her he says to you and to me today where are they is there no one left to accuse you your scapegoating mob and she says sir they have left there's no one left and he says to her neither do I condemn you go and sin no more go and sin no more you know when we hear the word hear the word sin you know we don't like it in this culture Tell us a lot about God's love. We don't like to hear the word holiness and sin. And perhaps many, many in this world will see those words go and sin no more like a threat. As if like Jesus is saying, well, you do it once again and you'll find yourself under the pile of rocks. But pay heed to those words today, my young friends. Those are words of freedom for you today. Go. Is a verb. Go is movement. Where do you want to be today? Where in your life do you need change? Where are you desperately wanting to get out of this? From the ground where everything is lost and worthless and diminished to here elevated to where you must be. Where is it in your life that you need to get up? That you need to go from shame to freedom, from worthlessness to a life of purpose. Jesus says go, yes. But he doesn't remove the word sin. Because sin breaks our relationship with God. Sin destroys purpose. Sin can never bring change in this world. does not condemn her and he doesn't condemn you today he condemns sin because he knows the gravity of sin and there he is picture yourself at this moment you are that woman whether you're a guy you're a girl and you know what it is to be brought down by your deepest shame to think goodness gracious like this is it for me and people who will remind you of your worst mistake but that is not how Jesus saw her and that is not how Jesus sees you here at this moment 
regardless of how torn your clothes are and how scarred your face is, you are a person of great worth before the Lord. A person with purpose and potential and gifts and a destiny that is going to rock this world, that is able to go forth and set this world on fire. And God will do anything, anything to secure that purpose in us. The beauty of your worth, my dear friends, is this. It's this. And this is able to change us. And this changed the woman. Accounts tell her her name is Mary Magdalene. You know what she does? At the most crucial moments of his life, all his friends are gone. The popular mob is gone. All his friends are gone. She stands there at the cross with our mother. And she sees him unafraid, bold and courageous. If I have to die, I'll die. But I will stand for this man who stood for me. This man who dared to give me my worth and my dignity when I thought it was lost. Today, Mary Magdalene is not just Mary Magdalene, she's Saint Mary Magdalene. We can never come to a love like this. We can never come to a love like this. We have done this. But this is what Jesus gives us. We can never come to this, my dear friends, and not be changed. The forgiveness and the love of God that we're going to enter into the grim darkness of the Holy Week. That forgiveness is not just about removing these stones from our lives. That forgiveness gives you freedom. Freedom to be who you have to be. Freedom as a child of God, a son of God, a daughter of God. Freedom of new life, it's transformation. We have to change, my brothers and sisters. We have to challenge the culture that doesn't allow us to change. We have to say enough is enough of sin. Enough is enough of this garbage that goes around in the culture. We have to awaken to new life. We have to awaken to sanctity. That is what you're made for. Sanctity, sainthood. Mary was not just a disciple. She was the first witness of the resurrection. Think about it. God does not withhold us from sainthood because of our sinful past. A sinner like her became the first witness of the resurrection and Christ is able to do with you unbelievable things. And so where, where it is that you've picked up these stones, Maybe the Holy Spirit is reminding you of times you picked up the stone and you scarred your own lives. The sin of pornography, of lust and immorality, the sin of lying and substance abuse and alcohol, cyber sex, live in relationships. Don't we 
scar our lives? Don't we wound our bodies? It's not always that we have a stone for someone. Sometimes a stone is for our own lives. Where have you thrown these stones? Maybe in your family? Maybe your mother, your father? Maybe your siblings? Maybe you've shamed your friends, gossiped about them behind their back? Don't we forward, don't we screenshot, don't we expose secrets in this culture? And where is it that stones have been thrown on you? That you refuse to talk about? It hurts, it hurts my dear friends, I know. It hurts to be betrayed. To be used and abused. Maybe it's someone that you trusted, maybe even an elder in your family. Maybe hurtful words have been spoken against you. You're good for nothing. When are you going to up those grades? Can't you be like your sister? Can't you be like your brother? Can't you be like your neighbor? Words that have been spoken to us, you're ugly. Look at yourself in the mirror, you're ugly. Think about the narrative that you play in your own head. I can never do great things. I will never make it in life. God will bless everyone else, but not me. And here at this moment, my dear friends, here at this moment, Christ just wants to come because you see he's so tender he knows us so well go and sin no more go and sin no more as we close I just want to leave you with just an exercise that you can do when you go back home wherever you are when you go back to your you know your rooms to head for the night just think about these stones stones that you've thrown on others stones that others that others have thrown on you and stones that you've thrown on yourself and write down those words on that book go and sin no more Christ gives you the opportunity of new life, of freedom, of forgiveness today. Take it. Take it. He asks no explanations. No need to defend yourself. Receive that forgiveness from the Lord right now. Just receive that forgiveness. I just ask you to lift your hands like this. When you lift your hands like this, see yourself like releasing the stones from your hands whether stones to yourself or stones to others. I ask you, Father, to just come down, Lord, just as you intersected the path of this woman, Lord, that you may come and intersect the paths of all those gathered here. 
Jesus, you are the light of the world and light extinguishes all darkness, all darkness. And so I ask you, Jesus, you're so, so kind, so kind, so tender. Bring comfort, Lord, where sin has diminished your worth. Bring power, Lord, where we feel incapable of any change. Lord, I ask you to come into homes and relationships at this moment. Walk into their past, Lord. Stay with them in the present. Be with them, Jesus. Be with them, Jesus. Thank you so much, Michelle, for the talk. We now move on to um, a question. Uh, we have a question for you. I think this was to do with the video you played earlier. So, the only reason they were hateful was because of racism, something that is going on till this day. The approach to that bar may not be the best, but racism and hatred towards another human just because they are of different colour shouldn't be excused just because of the notion of loving one another. How can you love someone like that? I think, first of all, I want to commend you on the question. And I also want to commend you on the part where you say... Um, it may have not been the right approach. And I think that's a very good starting point because there's two components to any sort of uh, responsibility. One is a component where you know that an approach can be right or wrong because when you use the wrong approach, you know that even if your motive is right, you've lost. And so as Christians, our motive has to be right. And racism and trolling is a very predominant disease in our culture today. And it should never ever be taken lightly and it should never ever be, um, I mean, we can never make light of things like that. Uh, but the thing with, with Christianity is this, what I say is this, I say, what are you contributing to? Are you contributing to the popular mob? Because sometimes we do that by remaining silent. Sometimes we aggravated by by joining in, in the mob. And my, my point of racism is always this. I say, let's holistically look at uh, everything as Christians because we can't berry pick. And where it goes wrong is actually when we, when, we, when we berry pick. So for example, we choose and we say, let's talk a lot about racism. But then we don't talk, say for example, we say, well, it's okay to murder babies through abortion because my life, my choice. And so that is why I said that whatever we contribute to and nothing that desacralizes a human being should ever be taken lightly. But the component of love is a, is a very holistic approach. So we can't berry pick. And by you contributing and saying no, like in a hateful manner, 
uh, I don't think we do, we don't make the wrong right. We just fuel the mob. And Jesus is, the church is very clear about racism. The church is very clear about abuse. Um, I've been in situations where uh, there is abuse in relationships and the church is very, very clear about never standing or even remaining in toxic relationships where there is abuse, uh, for example. So things like racism um, should never be taken lightly. And yes, we love one another, but love is to will the good of another. And so my point of showing the video more was, uh, what is adding more cuss to the comments going to change about that boy not being racist or being racist? What are we adding to that? Basically nothing. We're not saying that, okay, let's just allow this in our culture. We're not saying that. My point was more of, uh, when we add to the negativity, are we changing anything? Basically, no. I hope that answers your question. Yep, thank you so much for answering. Um, I'd now like um, to hand over to Mario um, as he has an announcement for us and end with a final prayer. Um, hi, everyone. <coughs> Just wanted to quickly make an announcement about uh, the changing time clocks. Uh, in the Western world, Europe and Americas, there's usually this concept of daylight savings time that gets observed. And uh, due to that, uh, what we happen to have is that uh, today's session for a lot of you would have been at say, three uh, at 4.30 in India, for example, or uh, two in Qatar. But from next week onwards, that's going to be one hour earlier. So please take note of that. And uh, as you can see, all the times are relative to the UK, which is where Divine UK is based out of. So please keep that in mind. I've just put a reference chart over here for like time zones and based on where you all are coming from. But please keep uh, maybe look up uh, a website like timeanddate.com to know exactly what time this is in your own time zone. But predominantly, it's going to be one hour earlier than usual. That's it. So, yeah. Thank you so much. And let's end with a final prayer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Abba Father, we love you and we thank you so much uh, for the talk that we heard. Thank you for what you spoke to us through Michelle. We pray in a special way that the word that has been planted in our hearts may take roots in us and let it blossom and bloom as we look to to stand for the truth. Let us not spew, ha let us not spew hatred or throw a stone on the other. And let us remember what you did when it came to the woman who was, who was accused by the others. Let us look at her and let us forgive her. Let us not be somebody who throws a stone at them. Our Father, please bless our hearts, bless our directions, our minds, our thoughts, and be with us through this uh, week of, the, through this holy week. And I pray in a special way for Michelle that you continue to bless her and and, and let her words and let her ministry bear fruit in all the youth that she touches. Be with us. Thank you, Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with you. Blessed are you amongst women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, as now and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. So, thank you, everyone. And... Uh, 
see you again next week and we wish you a wonderful uh, Easter. God bless.